Hello and welcome back to the latest edition of First Impressions here at There Was an Idea. Today I will be talking about the latest, the 28th entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, a film which at the time of this recording I have seen once. Looking forward to seeing it again tomorrow, but man, there's there's a lot to process here and I didn't want to miss the opportunity to share these genuine first impressions. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please forgive me if my voice sounds a little bit off on this recording. I am currently getting over some laryngitis. So here's what I'm going to say about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness right off the top here. I was looking forward to this film. Of course, I always look forward to the MCU films. I've really enjoyed Doctor Strange as a character in the past. I am a huge fan of Wanda. And I was really looking forward to what had been speculated to be more of a, a horror tone for this film, especially given the the knowledge that the director, Sam Raimi, was behind it. Outside of that, I really tried to go in with tempered expectations. Spider-Man No Way Home lived up to all of the hype and speculation around it. And it was an amazing experience. That was one of my favorite theater experiences in a really long time. And I absolutely loved that movie. But I was getting the sense that some of my fellow fans and, and podcast hosts were really putting a lot of high expectations on Multiverse of Madness to match or even exceed the level of theatrical excitement uh, in the way of cameos or other world, interworld tying uh, moments that this movie might have. And I didn't want to let myself get get wrapped up into too much speculation. And I also knew that I would enjoy the film more if I went in, if I went in as as cold as I could, which is not very cold. Obviously, I'd still seen the trailers. And I obviously can't totally escape any speculation. And, and that is fun, too. That That's part of why I enjoy being part of these conversations. But I have to say, I'm really glad that I went into Multiverse of Madness with a with an attitude of going to see an MCU movie today. It's a new MCU movie. I'm so excited. I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I can't wait to see these characters again and in- get introduced to new ones. And I wasn't thinking about how is this perhaps going to tie in with X-Men or Fantastic Four? How does this tie in with the larger MCU? How does this tie in with Loki? Are there going to be these huge multiversal uh, implications for what comes next in the story? And I'm wondering, and I'm sure I'll, I'll find out through looking at some some reactions, some articles, some podcasts from folks who maybe did go in hoping for or expecting those things. I think I may have been a little bit disappointed if I did. But going in, just looking forward to an MCU film that was going to star some of my favorite MCU actors and directed by a, a director who I was looking forward to seeing what spin he might bring to the MCU, that was perfect for me. And I walked away having my expectations fulfilled. One of the conversations around Spider-Man No Way Home that I heard after that film came out, and most of the folks that I talked to, friends and and fellow podcast people and whatever else, um, all really enjoyed Spider-Man No Way Home. But there were some conversations I got into about nitpicking some of the plot contrivances, and it didn't bother me with Spider-Man No Way Home. It really didn't. There, Sure, there were some things that Felt like they needed a little bit of an extra suspension of disbelief. But for whatever reason, and the reasons I discussed about loving that movie so much on my prior podcast episodes on it, it didn't take away from the movie for me at all. 
But there are a few elements of the plot to Multiverse of Madness that I'm still trying to wrap my head around a little bit. And that's why it's going to take multiple viewings for me to kind of firmly come out with a stance on the extent to which these plot details are uh, detract from my overall experience with the film. I want to mostly focus on the positive with my first impressions here today because I really am buzzing with excitement about some of the amazing things that I saw in this film. But just to get it out of the way at the top, there were some things related to Wanda's story arc, her motivations, and how that propelled the plot forward that I'm not fully sold on. Maybe that's more of a character thing than a plot thing now that I think about it, but I need some time to to fully process through that. And the other thing that I'll say is in the first half hour or so of the movie, I was struck by some of the dialogue feeling a little bit clunky and and some decisions that felt a little bit exposition heavy. A quick example that springs to mind is is when Doctor Strange and America Chavez are in one of the various universes that they visit and they walk by this memory lane immersive experience storefront thing. And I was curious as to why the other person standing on the sidewalk next to the person who was having their memories scanned would also be privy to the memory if it's being portrayed like on the wall. Also, this is a, a free experience, I suppose. I don't know. I think in at least in our universe that the, that folks would be charging for that experience of getting your memory scanned. Probably a a heavy price by the minute. So I just thought that was that was you know obviously served to give us some more exposition on America and where she came from and her her motivation, and to make that connection with Doctor Strange and his memories of Christine and give he and America something to connect over. But that just felt a little clunky to me. And Doctor Strange's interaction with Doctor West at Christine's wedding and talking about being blipped it, it just felt a little bit more hey, remember this, uh, than we typically get in the MCU. And so I was a little bit like, oh, okay. But I have to say those small things, um, while certainly they don't make for a perfect movie, I mostly forgot about them as the movie really got going into its second and, and third acts. I was loving every minute of the Wanda stuff in this movie in terms of how it looked visually, in terms of Elizabeth Olsen's performance, and and really especially in terms of the horror elements that we get through the Scarlet Witch, uh, the Scarlet Witch's emergence here. The first time that Wanda dreamwalks into other universe Wanda's home, and the atmosphere is just so eerie all of a sudden, and there's this picture of Wanda on the table, and, and the Wanda in the picture turns, her head and looks at Wanda and then when Wanda possesses the other Wanda and she looks right at the camera that was a real shift in the movie for me and it was a shift for the better I was so excited by how they flirted with a real horror aesthetic and darkness here much more so than in Moon Knight which had been speculated to be the MCU's first kind of horror-adjacent installment. And that's really Sam Raimi at work. Some of the aesthetic decisions, some of the camera techniques, and the color tones, and the music choices, the Danny Elfman music here, amazing. There, There's these electric guitars uh, that come up in parts of the score that just perfectly, perfectly match the mood 
of what was going on. Uh, to say nothing of the incredible music note fight scene between the two Doctor Stranges later in the film, which is one of the best things that the MCU has ever done. That was such a cool, interesting, fresh take on what a magic battle could look like. And it was incredible. Absolutely one of my standout favorite moments from, from the entirety of the movie. But going back to what I was saying about the Wanda horror aesthetic, there's also then the scene with Professor X when they're both trying to get into each other's minds, which was so cool to see these two characters interacting. And we see this white, empty landscape with this scary door in the middle. And just the imagery was so strong. And then you see Professor X, and then you see behind him this red cloud. Man, it looked incredible. This movie looked incredible. Now, I mentioned Professor X, the Illuminati, I think it's a really big bummer that the trailer included Patrick Stewart's voice. And I know that some casual fans may not have made that connection, but obviously those of us or be part of these conversations with people who did notice it right away. So I think that's a bummer. It would have been a really cool surprise. But even still, knowing that it was coming, it was really cool to see him here. It felt like a fun fan service crossover moment without being too much or taking away too much from the overall story of this film. The cameo that did really surprise me, though, was Reed Richards. Again, is this just a fan service nod, knowing that so many people have been clamoring for John Krasinski to be cast as Reed Richards in the MCU's Fantastic Four? This could be a really funny way of saying, okay, we hear you. We're going to cast him as an alternate universe, Reed Richards. And then when we get our Fantastic Four movie in the MCU, it won't be him. They could easily do that. Or perhaps... Reed Richards is more of a, a nexus type being. I think that's the term for somebody like Wanda who looks exactly the same in every universe as opposed to as opposed to other variants. But then again, at Mordo looks the same. Doctor Strange looks the same. This is a question. This is a question that I have. The variants that we see in Loki and the alternate timeline thing versus the multiversal stuff, are these exactly the same? This is confusing, and if it's a little bit confusing even for somebody like me who has spent so much time thinking and talking about this stuff, I have to imagine it's confusing for the more general viewer. And I'm kind of surprised because Michael Waldron, the head writer for Loki, also wrote this film. So that kind of left me scratching my head a little bit about how, sure, even if we weren't going to see Loki in this movie or any other references to, like, let's say, the TVA, that's fine. I'm just still wrapping my head around the differences between how the different timelines were depicted in Loki versus how the different multiverse universes are depicted here in the movie. So I, I just need to think through that a little bit more. But back to what I was saying, I did think that the Reed Richards stunt casting or or perhaps foreshadowing of his actual casting was really fun. It was great to see that character and to see John Krasinski. I was unfamiliar with the character of Black Bolt and I know he's from Inhumans. I liked what they did with him here. I was so excited to see Maria Rambo as Captain Marvel because I really like her in the Captain Marvel movie. And of course, her daughter Monica Rambo is a, a bigger presence in the MCU now. So so it was cool to see see her mom back here. And Captain Carter, I loved. This was one that I know fans were speculating on her appearing in this film. So I had it in my brain that she might or she likely was going to show up. Um, but it was still such a cool feeling to see her on screen in live action for the first time. 
Haley Atwell is such a, a, a vision. And she was just killing it in the Captain Britain suit and the shield. And when she said I could do this all day, I genuinely got so excited and I, I felt it in my bones. And I don't know if that's just the Cap fangirl in me speaking, but I was really, really excited for that. And then kind of the best part of this whole Illuminati thing was how quickly Wanda killed them. I don't entirely know how to take it. Is it kind of a fun tongue-in-cheek comment even to fans? Like, here are some fun stunt casting. Here are some fun cameos. And we're going to kill them within five minutes. I don't mind if it was that. I think that's pretty clever, actually. And I love how much it showed just how freaking strong and unstoppable Wanda is. And I also loved how they were willing to really flirt with the PG-13 line of goriness here. Like, we didn't see the blood or we didn't see the the shield cut Captain Carter's body in half, but it was implied and that's pretty awful. I don't know if there were any kids in there who were feeling a little bit freaked out. The way that all of the Illuminati members die is pretty gruesome and and I like it. I'm appreciate I appreciate that this movie took some big swings like that. I think we need to see that for these sequels to still keep feeling fresh. Speaking of scary things too, the souls of the damned when Doctor Strange is dreamwalking into his own corpse, which visual reference to the zombies episode of What If in a way, which I thought was really cool, but also gruesome and scary and also campy and very, very bizarre. I love the I love the weirdness of that. Very Sam Raimi. Um, but those souls of the damned, the way they were screaming and the way that they were taking his body, that was really scary. I, I mean, I wasn't scared. I love horror movies, but I could see uh, younger fans being a little bit freaked out by that, and I wouldn't blame them. And I'm curious if the slightly less family-friendly nature of this film will impact its performance in the box office or impact the reception that, that fans have. I want to talk a little bit about Doctor Strange himself in this movie and his character arc. He is a character who, for me, has shown the brightest in his supporting parts, you could say, in Infinity War, in Infinity War especially, and in No Way Home. I enjoyed the first Doctor Strange movie for what it did aesthetically and for how it opened up another aspect to the MCU in a, in a visual way and in this idea of exploring other dimensions in a way we hadn't seen before. But in terms of story, the first Doctor Strange movie was not my favorite. His character arc, to me, rang very similar to Tony Stark's. And he's not a character who I particularly connected with until I saw him in those other films. And likewise here, I mean, I liked him. I liked him here for sure, don't get me wrong. But he didn't necessarily seem like the central character in the way that, let's say, Shang-Chi or Black Widow did in those recent films. Or maybe if those aren't the best comparisons, let's think of another sequel like Captain America the Winter Soldier or Iron Man 2 or Thor the Dark World or Spider-Man Far From Home. Like Those films all had real specific character arcs for our titular hero, maybe or the dark world accepted a little bit, but I haven't seen that movie in a while. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that Doctor Strange didn't feel like the shining star here. To me, Wanda very much felt like the shining star, although 
as I alluded to before, I, I am still processing and have some questions about her character arc in this film and uh, the extent to which I feel like it was uh, appropriate for her character at this juncture. I'm so excited to see her as a villain. The Scarlet Witch is so scary and so awesome and so badass. And I have no problem with really connecting with a character who we've seen on all sides of things like Loki or now with Wanda. However, with the way that WandaVision ends, I was a little bit surprised that it felt like we were kind of retreading a similar ground with Wanda of this grief driving her to take, in this case, really active horrific actions as opposed to the events of WandaVision, which suggests that the hex was more of a subconscious thing. So I have a lot of questions there. As awesome as it was to see her as the villain, if I think too hard about it, I'm not particularly sold on her her motivating factors there. I mean, we see her really violently kill a lot of people in this movie. And where do we go from there? What does redemption for Wanda look like? Or is she going to be a villain for in future installments? When are we going to see her next? So that's a lot of Wanda questions. I'm getting off track. I should circle back to Doctor Strange himself. So the arc that I do see for him here is very much related to that question that people keep asking him, are you happy? Which is a really interesting one. And there's a lot of stuff to dig into here on all of these uh, accounts. And after seeing the, the movie a few more times, I'm looking forward to finding a guest to dig into this with me for the full analysis episode. But he keeps being asked, are you happy? It's similar to some of the other stories that we've seen for our, our heroes in phase four after Endgame, after the great heroic moment, which was a heroic moment, but as Dr. West points out to Dr. Strange at the beginning of this movie, there was also so much great loss involved in it. What's next for you? What is your life like? What would happiness look like for these heroes? I think that's a really interesting question to dig into. I'm not sure that this film spent a ton of time really getting into his psyche. We do see this phase four recurring theme of characters being forced to come face to face with themselves. It's something that works really well with the multiverse, of course, but we've seen it now so many times with Loki, with Spider-Man, with Doctor Strange here, with Wanda here, this very literal being faced with yourself or what what your life might look like if you had made different choices and things like that. I think there's a lot of richness to dive into in that respect. Really, I think what this movie was getting at in terms of Doctor Strange is giving him someone else to care about, specifically someone younger. I think his relationship with Peter in No Way Home was very effective. We see Doctor Strange as this older, more pragmatic guy who, unlike, let's say, Cap, is willing to trade lives, so to speak, and put that up against Peter's youthful optimism and idealism and perhaps even naivete. And there was a good balance there. Peter learns from Strange, Strange learns from Peter. And of course, we know at, no, at the end of No Way Home, he forgets Peter. So I think they were trying to echo some of that with his connection with America Chavez here. It was interesting to me that he kept calling her the kid, the kid, this child. I don't know how old she's supposed to be, but she certainly doesn't seem as young as Billy and Tommy. 
It also raises some questions for me about the Young Avengers. Like, how old really is that team? Because I get the sense that America Chavez is a teenager. Billy and Tommy are preteens, like 10 or 11 or something like that. Kate Bishop is 22. I don't know how old Eli Bradley is, but I, I'm, I'm just, I've got some question marks there, but that's not for this conversation. Regardless, it was interesting to see that she was so infantilized in a way. Like she, I'm excited for this character, don't get me wrong, but she did seem very much like a passive character. She's running away from something. She is in danger. She is frightened. She needs help. And that's all fine. And it makes sense for his story here. We learned in this film that he had this sister who died when he was really young. And I like that detail. It serves to fill in some some gaps in his story, perhaps what motivated him to become a doctor in the first place, and why maybe he's drawn to these younger characters and wants to protect them, but also maybe why he's hesitant to get close to people. And his decision at the end of this film, even when Wong tells him, like, maybe the right thing to do here is to kill America Chavez so that Wanda can't use her can't use her power he thinks creatively and comes up with another solution and does save her life and I think that that there is the influence of of Peter which perhaps he feels somehow subconsciously I don't know maybe that's a stretch Um, but it's the influence of the cap style of, of thinking the Avenger style of thinking which I do think is is nice I haven't yet talked about Christine Palmer I liked their relationship in this movie so much more than in the first one, and I liked her character so much more here. She's got a little bit more agency, and she's fleshed out a little bit more, and they do have that really nice moment. I, I forget what the dialogue is now, but I can picture the scene in my head when they're when they're in the world in which he, he had been fighting with the music note battle Doctor Strange, but they have a really nice moment together that I, I felt that connection, and I felt that longing that he has. I, I was more convinced by their relationship and the love he has for her in this film than I was in the first one. End tags. I have no idea who Charlize Theron's character is supposed to be, and that's exciting, I suppose, although that end tag didn't really give us too much to chew on. If you recognize her from the comics, I imagine that was probably an exciting moment. And Charlize is awesome, so that's pretty cool. We see Doctor Strange has his third eye open now, which is intriguing. Certainly there's more to learn about the extent to which the dark hold is going to impact his actions moving forward. And the second end tag with Bruce Campbell was funny. The whole audience was laughing at that. I did go to an opening night show, a Thursday night show. It was a pretty full theater, but not entirely full. They, they were doing so many showings of it at my local theater, though. And I went at kind of an awkward in-between time, and I went to regular digital showing and not Dolby or IMAX, which is usually what I do for my first showing. And um, those were all pretty much sold out. I am going to be going again, ironically, perhaps, on on Mother's Day, taking my mom and my dad. I think we're going to see a Dolby showing, if I remember correctly. And then next week with friend of the show, Rob, we're going to actually go check out an IMAX 3D showing. So I'm curious to uh, get the fuller effect in those theaters than the regular one. I imagine... It will only be more intense, which I'm looking forward to. The crowd was good, though. There was reactions and clapping and oohs and ahs, and that's always fun. Another thing I noticed, and I'm going to look out for this on my second viewing, the Marvel title cards with the fanfare. It seemed like there were more clips of Doctor Strange 
than usual. But not all Doctor Strange. Like for a second, when they start showing, like the Marvel words start flying in, and you see the images from different films in part of the letters. I saw a couple Doctor Strange ones, and I thought, oh, maybe they're gonna make it all Doctor Strange, but it wasn't all Doctor Strange. So I'm gonna look at it again. Maybe I was just uh, noticing him more. I don't know if it was actually different or not. Well, I feel like there's probably a lot that I'm missing here, but these were my first impressions. So you're getting my stream of conscious. Uh, here's what I remember and what stands out from the film. Please stay tuned because I will be digging into this film in a more analytical way. And I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say about specifically the character arcs for Wanda and for Stephen Strange as I continue to reflect on the movie and, and see it a few more times. Please also stay tuned for my wrap-up episode on Moon Knight. I'll be discussing episodes five and six with Sean of the Caption Life podcast. And coming up after that, I have a few other fun things planned. So once again, you can find me at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And thanks for listening.